Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 29th of April, 2022. Happy Friday. Blessed, blessed, glorious Friday is upon us. I am Derek Hunter. Of course, I am your host. I want to get to the program because I want to get to the weekend, for the love of God. I want to get to the curse show, the weekend effing review at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. Please check that out. Give it a shot. Give it a shout out. Uh, if you want to give it a sample sample you can email me Derek Allen Hunter at gmail.com ask me to send it to you it'll be a lower quality version because it has to be under 20 megabytes but uh, it'll still sound fine it's just the bit rate is what I mess with but this time I'll give you a shot at if you haven't had it before if you haven't heard it before this will be your shot at what in the hell this is all about so give me a sh- an email and say you put uh, W I uh, FR in the subject line. Week in Evan Review. And uh, I'll send it. It just lets me know that you want it. And I'll send it to you. And then if you like it, go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast and subscribe. And while you're there, don't forget to enter to win one of the signed books that are up for grabs every week. So, yeah, it's that simple. Just a part of the small community, a tight knit community of like-minded lunatics and cynical people who look at the world and recognize that it's full of a bunch of corrupt SOB politicians who are looking to screw you over, smell your hair, or whatever the hell they're doing. So, yes, appreciate all the support. Now let's start the program. There is uh, a bunch of things happening right now, a bunch of stuff going on, but we just got economic news this morning of the the economy's not doing well under Joe Biden. I get it. In a shocking revelation, the uh, economy is not doing well under Joseph Robinette Biden. Um, I wish I could say I was surprised. Jimmy Carter is sitting there going, this is great news. This, this just keeps making the case. I keep getting I keep getting cleared, clear, clear, clear. I am no longer the worst president in American history, or at least in, in recent history. He is number two now. Congratulations, Jimmy. You've lived long enough to see it. The economy shrunk by 1.4%. It's the first shrink since the pandemic. Now, what's funny is the other day, President Fauci went on and said, hey, we're past the pandemic stage. We're past the pandemic stage. And what happened? The next day, he comes back and says, well, we're not really past the pandemic stage. The Biden administration got a hold of him because they knew that they need the pandemic to still keep going. They need it because they need it to blame things on. And if you have a suspicion that you're looking at really, really crummy economic numbers coming out, you don't throw away your crutch right before those hit. You don't do that. would be crazy. It's the only arrow, I'd say the the best arrow, it's the only arrow in the Democrats' quiver because everything they've done has been awful, has been damaging to the economy. So they needed this. They knew they needed this. And so eh, they walked Fauci back out and said, no, we're not past the... uh, it's a phase yet. Still, I'm, he's not good. Even Fauci has decided not to attend the White House Correspondents' Dinner 
on uh, Saturday because of his own personal safety. He might be too mobbed by people. No, because he he's like, I don't want to be around that many people. Can't blame him. Some of them might be critical of him in his little virgin ears. Haven't heard criticism of him in lo these two and a half years, except for when he's around Rand Paul. And, you know, he might run into Rand Paul there. So he didn't want to go. But the people who, uh, you know, this is what's funny. We'll get into this maybe later about the Biden administration. It depends on the circumstance and how useful it is for them as to whether or not the pandemic is still real and still happening, well, is real, and whether or not it's happening or it's not happening. At the southern border, it's not happening. They've solved the problem. Maybe we should all become southern border states or figure out what it was that the Border Patrol did down on the southern border to end the pandemic because we're ending the pandemic down there and saying, come one, come all, and the world's dumbest game of Red Rover, Red Rover opening up the southern border. But the Biden administration is fighting tooth and nail to make sure that you, if you get on an airplane, have to wear a mask. Square that circle, I don't know. Why? Because the, well, the border is, uh, because the pandemic isn't over here. It's only over on the border and in the ballroom at the Hinckley Hilton, which is what they call the Washington Hilton because it's where John Hinckley shot Ronald Reagan. Mayor Pete was on special report yesterday. It was kind of pathetic. He almost felt bad for him because it's not his area. But he was asked, what's the difference between why do you want to require masks? Why is the Justice Department suing to require masks on airplanes? And the White House Correspondents' Dinner is going to be maskless. And Mayor Pete, being Mayor Pete, not particularly bright, doesn't really, not a real uh, stir of confidence said, well, there's a difference between a plane and a hotel ballroom. Well, he's right. There is a difference between, there's a lot of differences between a plane and a hotel ballroom. There aren't that many people on a plane, for one thing. And uh, while the hotel ballroom ceiling is probably, I've been in that ballroom, it's not, it's not gigantic. It's not some elegant thing with giant chandeliers now. It's, it's a place where you, you'd have a corporate retreat you know, and like, oh, geez, we're going to the Hilton. It's probably about a 15-foot ceiling, if I remember correctly. Just flat ceiling tiles. Not exactly state-of-the-art air filtration or air changing every 90 seconds like there is on a plane. So it's much more dangerous, quote-unquote, if you buy into that stuff, uh, than it is on an airplane. But the Biden administration is cool with that. Meanwhile, they say they're cool with that. The president is going to attend... The speeches, and he's going to get the hell out of there before the meal is served. Does that give anybody who's going confidence? I don't know. The most people who are going understand that the government is all just about their power. But when you've got a senile eighty-year-old running around as president of the United States, you got to get him. A, you don't want him in a crowded room anyway. But when he is in the highest risk group of people with COVID, you got to make sure you get him the hell out of there. Just interesting to watch this Kabuki theater. But anyway, back to the uh, the GDP numbers. We've got the uh, Rick Santelli over on CNBC breaking the news about these numbers. And I will point out, this is, Santelli says, is the first quarter of negative growth since last, uh, since 2020 with the pandemic. There was one quarter of negative growth, a recession. By definition, 
is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Shrinkage, really. Negative growth is shrinkage. We are at one. We are therefore halfway to a recession. If in the next three months, four months, the economy doesn't turn around, and I see no real indication that it will, aside from Democrats being able to be the ones to cook the books, uh, we would be looking at a technical recession. But anyway, listen to Rick Santelli announce the news. GDP, first look, first quarter, is a nasty minus 1.4. Minus 1.4. We haven't had a minus sign since that nasty second quarter, COVID-related, in 2020. Let's go through it. Consumption drops to 2.7, well below expectations. Although, sequentially, it's actually higher than last time, which was 2.5. The pricing index, buckle up, 8%. 8%. That is unbelievable to find a higher number than 8%. You have to go back to 1981. That 8% number is more government measuring of inflation. You always have to go back to 1981 because that was the last time it was really bad, 81, 82. That was Jimmy Carter's recession. That's what you're looking at. We are looking at Carter-esque territory here, ladies and gentlemen. Sad but true. UK Daily Mail. The U.S. economy shrank last quarter for the first time since the pandemic recession struck two years ago, contracting at 1.4% annual rate, marking an abrupt reversal from a period of roaring growth. Joe Biden inherited a roaring economy and has killed it. The first quarter growth was hampered mainly by slower restocking of goods in stores and warehouses and the sharp drop in exports. The Commerce Department's estimate Tuesday of the first quarter's domestic product, the national, the nation's total output of goods and services, fell far below the 6.9% annual growth of the fourth quarter in 2021. You begin to see that these people make these numbers up, right? That they can, well, they can't make the total number up, but they can tweak around the edges. That 6.9% was garbage. That 6.9%, you have to remember that the economy is not measured against anything but itself when it comes to these numbers. This is what's important. It's measured against the previous year. That's it. The previous, previous year. So when you're sitting there going, well, it was 6.9% in uh, the last quarter of last year. Yes, that's relative to the last quarter of the previous year when everything was shut down by Democrats. So you have to keep... Everything is about perspective. I say it all the time. If you control the unit of measure, you control everything. If you control the unit of measure, you control everything. And they've decided, government has decided that if you're unemployed for a certain period of time and you give up looking for work, you no longer count as unemployed. How do they do that? How do they justify that? They justify it because they don't publicize it. They don't tell anybody. And they measure the economy. You sit there and you think, well, this is just an ever-growing thing. No, it's about the last, last time. Joe Biden will go around and and went around and bragged about the 6.9% for the fourth quarter of 2021. 6.9%, this is a robust economy. Well, it's because you shut down the economy the last time. The last quarter of the previous year is what you're measuring against. 
So, of course, there's there bam well better be growth when you shut down the economy for, you know, part of a year and then you open up the economy the next year. You better have some better numbers. We're still measuring against the emergence from the shutdown. Remember, after Joe Biden took office, this is the first quarter of 2022 measured against the first quarter of 2021 when Joe Biden was in office. And the first quarter of 2021 was was they were opening up the economy slowly because many of these Democrats did not want to do that. Uh, They didn't want to let go of the power, but the people sort of wrestled it from them, demanded to be set free. But that's what they're measuring against a still shut down, slowly reopening over the course of six months. So you're really only getting half of that economy. And against that, it's like running against somebody in a foot race who has rocks in their shoes and losing. Okay, like pointy rocks, not nice rounded rocks that have been sitting in a river for millennia. Pointy rocks in their shoes. Every step hurts them and you still lose. That's what happened because last year's economy was slowly being allowed to get blood back into the life was being choked out of it by Democrats. And we still couldn't beat it. Still couldn't beat it down by one point. 4%. Now, we've shrunk by more in the past, and maybe it will recover. But to sit there and blame supply chain issues, the supply chain, oh, this economy has shrunk because stores were not stocked up. No. If you know some, look, it's hard to buy certain models of certain things. Certain cars you can't get your hands on for a while. Certain appliances you can't get your hands on for a while. But those sales count. If you want to get in line to get the new latest, greatest stainless steel refrigerator and it's not in stock at Best Buy or Home Depot or wherever the hell, Bray and Scarf or wherever they sell appliances. I don't know if Bray and Scarf sells appliances or not. But uh, if you want to get in line for one of those, you have to pay. You got the display model there. You decide to buy this fridge and you pay for it. You order it. That puts you in line. That's sold. That's money into the economy. It is selling something that even though it doesn't exist, even though it's not there right now just yet, it's already been sold and those sales start. So you don't have to be in stock to sell stock, to blame it on, well, it's the supply chain issues. It's because things aren't, stores are having difficulty restocking. To my mind is a lie. It's a nice, convenient excuse. It sounds good. You go to the cupboard and the cupboard was bare. And maybe there is a certain percentage of people who simply go, I would much rather buy something. I'll wait two years to get a fridge rather than three months because I want to be able to walk out of the store with it that day. I didn't buy this pickup truck for nothing. Maybe there are like 12 guys who think that way. But the rest of us recognize that, you okay, well, you can't get it this weekend. But if you want to get it by, you know, the end of the month, you got to pay now. So to blame it on restocking seems like Democratic spin to me. UK Daily Mail, the economy is facing pressures that have heightened worries about its fundamental health and raised concerns about a possible recession. Inflation is squeezing households as gas and food prices spike. Borrowing costs mount 
and the global economy is rattled by a Russian invasion of Ukraine and China's COVID lockdowns. They're throwing everything out there except bad policies. Bad policies, threatening to raise taxes, increased regulation, return of regulation, unfettered immigration, restrictions on drilling, restrictions on oil exploration. We are now pledged, as Russia is cutting off Poland and uh, some other country I can't remember, doesn't matter, cutting off them parts of Europe from their oil supply. The United States is stepping up. You would think this would be seen as an opportunity. Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy, who has no business being in that job, said they're going to step up the production of, well, the exportation of liquefied natural gas. They're going to do everything they can to make sure those countries being cut off by Russia will not see a major interruption in their energy so they don't sweat to death in the summer and don't freeze to death in the winter but there's no corresponding this is what's amazing about these people there's literally no corresponding loosening of restrictions on drilling on oil exploration here so we're going to take what we have already and ship it over there without replacing what we have guess what that'll mean if you're playing the home game, provided this doesn't change. And I don't know how this doesn't change because this seems wildly stupid anytime, let alone in an election year. If this doesn't change, then that means increased prices here. That means increased. There's no other way. There's no other way to explain it. There's no way around it. It means increased prices here. If what the Biden administration is planning to do as of this moment is implemented now maybe they don't want to announce to the to the environmental leftist nut jobs that hey we're going to increase some production here to make up the difference no 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 they probably don't want to do that because they'll go nuts and they'll protest and they'll glue themselves to things and whatever else it is that these morons are doing at this time but it's entirely possible that they simply aren't going to do it anyway and they don't care they're looking right in the face of incredibly high gas prices ever going up and they don't give a damn democrats here in the state of maryland the uh, gas tax holiday expired about what three weeks ago two weeks ago i remember on saturday it was one thing and then uh, the next day it was like 40 cents higher like whoa something happened overnight i didn't realize that that it expired I didn't realize that month went by i was surprised democrats let it go now gas is over four dollars a gallon and they don't care they don't care do you think they're going to care about more inflation that they cause? None of this is by accident, ladies and gentlemen. None of this is stumbling into it backwards. They're doing this. They're doing this on their own. They're doing it willingly because they don't care. You can always count on the New York Times to run to the defense of Democrats. In a report before the GDP numbers were announced, they, uh, they said you can expect the GDP numbers to be small, but... Quote, but that number will be misleading, obscuring evidence of a resilient economy. Consumer spending and business investment are expected to show solid gains, blah, blah, blah. They were pre-spinning Joe Biden's horrible economic numbers because that's what really good lap dogs do. Hope they got a big old milk bone. Good doggies. Uh, oh, if you needed a nice pick-me-up <laughs> before we get to the weekend, a nice little um, the feel-good story of the year. 
Putin is still saber rattling about uh, nuclear war. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I guess it's good, I suppose, that it's not being taken seriously, that maybe he's not being serious. It's just saber rattling for domestic consumption. But when somebody generally sort of talks about We'll uh, use nuclear war if anybody gets in our way. And they've got nuclear and they've demonstrated that they are, you know, mentally unstable. It should warrant some sort of coverage or at least more coverage than we're getting. And again, he's up against a senile old dude who doesn't know what's good. There's video. I want to play you audio of Joe Biden speaking to the, the teachers of the year come to the White House the other day. And you see, you can hear it in his voice. You can really see it in his face if you see the video. And uh, this is something that's been striking me for a while. It depends on, I, I genuinely believe that Joe Biden is heavily medicated. For whatever reason, Adderall, some, there's something in him that they're pumping him full of to try to get him to focus, to try to enable him to focus, to get through his public appearances. And to hide it, because it, it, if the president were doddering around arguing with the curtains and everything in the White House, somebody would leak it. Somebody would say something. There's just no there's no way that that many people who work in there, the hundreds and hundreds of people who are in and out of the White House for work. Somebody would have said something. You can't hide it. Even if it was secondhand, it would be floating around out there. So I think they limit the exposure of the president to people. And you see it, you saw it at the uh, the Easter egg roll where they had the East, they had a press aide in the Easter bunny costume that once Joe started talking to the press, comes over and starts waving his arms. Going, no, 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 you, no talking to the press, Joe. We didn't pump you full of that much medicine. They're desperate to control access to the president of the United States. The only time he takes questions is when it's unplanned. Most of the time when he does that, he says something like, well, they're, uh, they're going to be really mad at me, but I'm going to take some questions. Who is this they? He never says. And weirdly, nobody asks. Somebody, you should go, who's going to be mad at you, Mr. President? Why would anybody be mad at you for taking questions? Hasn't done an interview since the Super Bowl. And not any prospects for one anytime soon either. But when you see Joe Biden speak sometimes, you can hear it in his voice. Not always. Not always. It seems to be about a 50-50 crapshoot. Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you can hear it. Sometimes it's not there. Of, We've all known people who are exceedingly old. And it doesn't, age doesn't necessarily matter. The number itself doesn't matter. But the impact on the brain and the cognitive functions are there. You know somebody who's slipping into eh, not full-blown dementia or anything like that, but they're just, they're losing steps and losing more steps. And it's sad. It's going to happen to all of us to one degree or another. And well, at least hopefully we'll all live old enough, long enough for it to happen to one degree or another. But with Joe, it's incredibly pronounced. He's not that much older than a lot of politicians. You listen to Mitch McConnell. I think they're the same age, Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden. You listen to Mitch McConnell speak, you don't get any of this. You don't get any of it. Donald Trump is only a couple years younger. 
and you don't get this with him. Hillary Clinton, a couple years younger, don't get this with him. Or with, with her, sorry, paging Dr. Freud. But you don't get it. You get it with people who have been slipping. Now, in addition to what Joe Biden is saying, I, got, I clipped this clip because of what Joe Biden is saying, is how the left works. It's they're all our children. They're your children. Teaching, speaking to teachers, they're your kids. No, they're not. But listen to not only the words, listen to the delivery. And if you get a chance, find the video of it. Because there's just a, there's just a way to stand at a podium where you're there and you're in command. And there's another way to stand at a podium when you're physically there, but you're not, you're not there mentally. You're kind of confused. You know you got to do something and there's words on the screen you're supposed to read. And you read those and you squint at them. And it's a difference between standing up straight, shoulders back, chest out, head up, chin up, and sort of shrinking, hunched down, confused, worried, even a little. I guess you're cognizant enough that you should be worried. You're kind of concerned. Am I going to do this right? That's what Joe is doing in this video. Now listen, listen to the audio because you can hear it. You can, if you can hear posture, you can hear the posture of Joe Biden in this video. You've heard me say it many times about our children, but it's true. They're all our children. And the, the reason you're the teachers of the year is because you recognize that. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they're in the classroom. No, they're not. First of all, they're not. You're, they're never anybody else's children. Now, if you're, you're watching my child, you better treat that child like it's, it's your child. Or I will treat you like you. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you are sitting there as a teacher, it's, you're the teacher, they're the pupil. That's the relationship that's being bastardized by the left. That being said, Joe is just, he's not, he's not even doing his whispering thing. He's just... Kind of, he's got this squint and a hunch, and a little hunchback, like like everybody's seen those those ninety five year old women who, you know, I don't know, something happens with them, not enough milk, I don't know what it is, but they've got that hunchback. That's what he kind of turns into. Kind of, you're the teachers of the year because you're this, because you're that. There's a dis- difference between a whisper and a tired voice. Not that the voice itself is tired, but the person speaking is tired. That's what Joe Biden is in that clip. He seems mentally and physically drained. Granted, the job of the presidency is a demanding job. But when you're putting a lid on the day by 3, 4 o'clock, you got plenty of time to sleep. There's something else going on here. I don't know what the, what it is exactly, but it's, it's one of those things to watch. And then you see the news. Well, he's going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, but he's going to skip the dinner. He's not going to sit around and eat because they want to, quote, limit his risk. Limit the risk. Well, then what, if masks work, why is everybody not wearing a mask? If vaccines work, Joe Biden has been a stick pin. I think he's gotten three boosters so far. Why is he afraid? Maybe you could convey all of this information to the American public, but they don't. They don't want you to even think about it, to question it, is to commit a heresy of the first order. Meanwhile, let's see. The uh, Denmark 
has halted the vaccine program. Moderna is looking to, or maybe they have gotten, they're looking to at least, they've applied to get um, emergency use authorization for children six and under, up to six months old. How, at this point right now, and let's hope it doesn't change as this thing seems to be petering out, so knock on wood. How insane do you have to be to get your kids a shot at this point? That's what I would want to know. To get your kid a shot at this point, how insane do you have to be? Axios had this story last week. I went to talk about this last week, but I didn't get it. The headline is parents of kids under five still waiting for COVID shots. Parents, if your kid is a pre-existing condition, absolutely. Absolutely, I understand it 100% of the time. But anybody else, you have to be insane to anxiously, well, you got to weigh it, you got to think about it. But to weigh it, to sit there anxiously awaiting is insane. The demise of the uh, federal transportation mask mandate was particularly jarring for many parents of children under five anxiously awaiting for word when COVID shots will become available for their kids, according to Axios. There's still a way to head. Now, why the hell would that, if masks work, if you believe in anything you're preaching, you're fine. If you think masks work, put on a mask and you're safe. Oh, well, double, but two other people, the other people wearing masks make it safer. Well, then you're saying that masks don't work. That's the long and short of it. Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla said this week his company aimed at getting vaccines out by June if regulators agree. Moderna CEO Stephanie Banshell likewise told Yahoo Finance last month that his company's... What? I guess it's Stefan, maybe? That his company uh, vaccine would likely be available in a couple of months, not for, uh, but not a couple of weeks and needs to be shown to be safe. Now, what's going on is, if you look at the data that they've submitted, if you have a normal, healthy kid, and I hope you do, that the difference between the protection level of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated is negligible. It's almost like a placebo effect. It doesn't really matter. If your kid is you know, sick, has some pre-existing conditions or comorbidities or whatever, absolutely do everything you can to protect your child. Nobody's going to judge you. But you should be, then this is the problem. This is the problem with society today, that you aren't allowed to differentiate. You aren't allowed to point out reality because reality is offensive to so many people. If you say, well, sick kids, kids with co comorbidities, you do that, separate them out, they should get the shot, but every other kid shouldn't, what happens? Some leftists will go, well, you're, you're stigmatizing these kids. No, we're trying to save their lives. Okay, that's what we're trying to, trying to save their health. We're trying to save their lives. Stigma, you can't avoid. Kids are going to be kids. They're going to find some soft spot to pick on some kid, whatever. That's just what they're going to do. That's how human beings are, even as adults. Get over it. Toughen up, buttercup. But you're not allowed to say that anymore. It's this mentality of, oh, we've got to make sure that everybody, nobody's ever stigmatized, that led to the welfare 
changes. The food stamps used to be actual food stamps. I remember vividly as a kid being in line at the grocery store with my mother while somebody in front of us was counting off the food stamps out of that little book. He had to rip them out. And each one, I don't know, I don't think I ever felt one, but they uh, they looked like they were almost printed on the, the paper that money was printed on. And that kind of, they looked like that. And you, it was a bit of a thing because everybody saw whoever it was reaching into their purse or into their pocket and pulling out the food stamps and paying with food stamps. Well, what happened? The left looked at that and said, well, there's a, there's a stigma attached to that. That's just wrong. You shouldn't stigmatize people just because they can't uh, take care of themselves. And so as everybody was switching over to using their debit cards for everything, the uh, states came up with their own version of the debit card. Here in Maryland, it's called the Independence Card, which is one of the funniest ironic names ever. It should be called the Codependence Card. It's bright orange. So you can see it from space when somebody whips it out to pay for something. But there is some, I can't remember, at least there was some bank. I guess I haven't seen one in a while. There was some bank that also used an orangish-yellow debit card or credit card. So every once in a while you'd go, oh, no, wait, that's that's a real credit card. You're paying for yourself. But for the most part, you whip out that orange card and you swipe it like a regular old debit card. Why? I mean, you still know it, but they say that you've got to remove the stigma. Well, frankly, some things should have a stigma to them. If we're just being honest, if we're being realistic. Uh, behavior that is uh, not good, that we don't want to encourage more of, should absolutely have a stigma attached to it. No questions, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're on welfare, if you're on food stamps, there damn well should be a stigma attached to it. And you should feel it, should feel it. You know why? Because you should then sort of whatever voice inside of you that would not be there if you were able to just swipe a, a welfare debit card, but you had to swipe, count off food stamps, that voice would go, I don't feel right about this. Maybe we, maybe we should get a job. Maybe we should do what we can to get off of food stamps. Maybe that'd be the better way to go. There should absolutely be a stigma to it. Some people, most people don't need that stigma to be motivated, but some people do. And we've got to motivate the lowest common denominator. Some people simply won't give a damn. That's why there should be limits on the amount of welfare you could get. Sorry, but you've been on long enough. Go about your business. But the idea that you have to pretend that every child five years old and younger has to get the shot is absurd, is wrong, is stupid, quite frankly. It's as stupid as every adult has to get the shot. We're seeing now heart problems that are exceedingly rare. I don't want to tell anybody that they're going to die or anything. They're exceedingly rare. If you give a 1,000 people an aspirin, a couple of them are going to have reactions to it. If you give millions of people a shot, some of them are going to have reactions to it. There's just no way around that. Relatively speaking, it seems so far to be okay and not damaging to people's health, but... For children, there is the younger they are, the more likely there are to be complications from the shot. Why would you take that risk if not to simply do what I was just describing? So the left can remove the stigma. You know, if somebody has to get the shot or some kid has to continue to everybody must wear masks because some people can't wear masks. It's the basis of the ACLU's 
dumbass lawsuit against the state of Virginia when Glenn Youngkin removed the mask mandate in schools. Well, some kids can't have the mask off, and so you're harming them. How? If a mask works, put on a mask if they want to wear a mask. Somehow before COVID, these kids with these pre-existing conditions managed to walk around without all of these masks on. So why the change? Well, we want to make sure that we don't stigmatize anybody. Well, I feel real bad. It's not a laziness stigma with the masks or with your pre-existing medical conditions like it is with welfare and food stamps, but it's still a stigma. And you're just going to have to learn to deal with it because you don't get to dictate the terms upon which everybody else must live simply because you can't live that way. We're real sorry. We'll work hard to make sure that your life is as good as it can be and try and fix whatever it is the problem. But the rest of us have to be able to be free to live our lives too. The left doesn't want that to be allowed. I'm looking at the uh, the Twitter machine, and if you uh, subscribe to Showtime, I just wanted you to know what you're subsidizing. Not only are you sh- subsidizing really racist shows and the garbage that Showtime puts out, but the, the, the company, the parent company, they all, they have tentacles into everything and they pay for something called The Recount. The Recount is a website and a Twitter account. That it's wildly unpopular as far as their podcasts go and things like that. It's just not good. But they, uh, they have this idiot chick who does some show um, on Twitch that nobody watches and you're like she's got one of the most annoying voices in the history and you're sitting there going this is entertaining but if you're paying for showtime you're subsidizing it and the recount has a clip from sean hannity the other day where he's talking to rand paul and he's talking about kamala harris getting a treatment for covid with plaxovid uh Paxlovid, I guess. And uh, they say Senator Rand Paul, Kentucky, Republican Kentucky, who is an eye doctor, an eye doctor is in all caps. They're trying to belittle Rand Paul. Oh, Rand Paul isn't really a doctor. He's an eye doctor. Well, first of all, if you start going blind, go to a podiatrist and let me know how that go to a proctologist. Because uh, given where your head is most of the time, leftists, that's probably just an infection and it can be cleared up pretty easily. But he actually did go to medical school. That's the thing. It, there's a specialty. The eye is a specialty. He's not somebody who's just going to, okay, this one or this one. He's not an optometrist. He is an actual doctor. During recesses in the United States Senate once a year, he goes down to the Caribbean and performs free eye surgeries. Yes, believe it or not, free eye surgeries on black and brown people because he's a racist. He's a Republican. He's obviously a racist. But they want to belittle him. Oh, yes, he's an eye doctor. What is he doing talking about this? First of all, Sanjay Gupta, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, excuse me, is not a virologist, is not a, he's a, a neurosurgeon. Okay, he's a neurosurgeon. There's no, there's not even close to an infectious disease specialist. Yet CNN has him on regularly, and the leftists at the recount quote him because he's spewing leftist dogma. He's cool. He's cool. 
You name most of the doctors who are on television who are medical contributors, quote unquote, and very few of them are actually specialists in the field. I mean, for God's sakes, one of CNN's chief medical contributors is a former head of Planned Parenthood. Right? She's an abortion doctor. Actually, she's mostly an academic. She's never particularly practiced medicine. She was uh, a professor. Then she was the head of uh, the health system and or the health policy in Baltimore. And then she became the head of Planned Parenthood. Then she was fired from that and became a professor again and a uh, columnist, I think, for the Washington Post, as well as a CNN contributor. And you're sitting there going, OK, abortion has nothing to do with COVID, yet she was out there speaking in her weird uh, voice saying, I believe that uh, masks should be required and children should be constantly getting an IV drip of whatever vaccine that they could get. Leanna or Lena Wynn, that's what she sounds like to me. No problem. She's allowed to have her opinions, but Rand Paul, no, he's just an eye doctor. Well, if you were sick and you had the choice between somebody whose own their only medical experience is teaching or and teaching about, you know, quick choice and being in the head of an abortion organization and a CNN contributor or somebody who went to medical school and actually practiced medicine before they went into politics and still practices medicine which one would you go to, even if they were just an eye doctor? Just an eye doctor. You'd go to the eye doctor. You'd go to the person who's actually practiced medicine, who's dealt with patients, who studied it and decided to specialize in the eye, which is a pretty complex thing, unlike an abortion doctor, which is, you know, frankly, a monkey could do it. Honestly, you, you hook up the machinery, the cat could do it, a dog could do it. How pathetic do you have to be? Mindless, it's a political procedure. But they want to say, well, he's only an eye doctor. These are, by the way, the very same people who do what? Insist that you call Dr. Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden. Because she wrote a, an illiterate paper about retaining students in community college. That's what, that's what her uh, thesis was about when she got her... Uh, her degree, her advanced degree, her, I guess it was a education doctorate. That's what it was. Retaining a community college student retention. Now, for my money, I would think that uh, community colleges retaining students is not the goal of a community college. The goal of a community college, while the associate's degree might be, you know, enough for certain positions or whatever, it might be good enough. The community college's purpose was to make the undergraduate degree, the bachelor's degree, much more affordable by getting the maximum number of credits you possibly can at a community college for significantly less and then transferring them to a place where you can get a four-year degree. That's just me. So the idea of retaining students, first of all, I don't know how you write multiple pages on this, no matter how illiterately you write the pages. I don't know how you write multiple pages on that, but Jill managed to do that because she's dumb. 
But I don't know why you would want that as your goal. What I really want to, it's like, uh, come on, children, I'm a motivational speaker for middle management. Create a character right now, here, live on the show. A motivational speaker for middle management. Eddie, the middle management expert. And he comes in and he talks to all the new recruits. He says, look, kids, you guys, you're, you're starting off on your exciting careers out there. Some of you will achieve great things. Some of you will rise. Some one of you in this room may well end up running this company or a company even bigger one day. And God bless you and God love you for that. But the rest of you, aim low. Aim lower. Go to middle management. Middle management can slide under the radar. If you're really looking for a life of leisure, yes, the leisure class, you think all those people with the money, the big CEOs, the vice presidents, they've got all the, they got a lot of money, but they have to work for that money. Once you start getting that seventh figure on your check, on your annual salary, suddenly there's a level of accountability that just doesn't exist in middle management. So don't aim all the way to the top. If you want a true life of leisure, find yourself in a position where if you don't show up for a week, people just assume you're on vacation. They don't even ask, what what happened to Johnny? Nobody knows. You're sitting on the beach and then you show up like you weren't even gone the previous week. It's your middle management. The people above you make the decisions and the people below you execute those decisions. Your job is to kind of just sit there and find new and creative ways to justify your job. That's easier than doing things and making decisions. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you as your motivational middle management speaker to find a way to find that cushy job, to order the really expensive office supplies with a really comfortable chair, to get the tint on the glass in your window and to make sure the lock works so that you can get those afternoon naps when you need them. Aim middle. Seems to be what you're doing if you're trying to get people to stay in community college. No offense to people who go to community college. I went to a community college for a little while. But is that really the end game? Is that the goal? So if you're paying for showtime, this is the, the mentality. This is the, these are the people that you're subsidizing. I can say proudly that we do not subscribe to showtime. Every once in a while you see a commercial for something going, oh, that'd be nice to see. I kind of want to see that. Or, ooh, showtime has that movie. But it's not worth it. It's not worth it. My 10 bucks a month is not worth it. I recognize that 10 bucks a month isn't going to stop. They go, well, we're 10 bucks short of producing this season of The Circus, which is four left-wingers running around and uh, whining about Republicans. But no, they're going to go, well, we'll just produce it anyway. They don't care. So all I really get out of it is the comfort of knowing that my money isn't going to it. And it's worth it. To be honest with you, for the past two months not having Showtime, I didn't even realize I didn't have Showtime. <laughs> I just haven't bothered. It's so little of my life. I might as well not have uh, broadcast TV, and I might as well not have any of the pay channels because I just don't have it. Anyway, um, I wanted to give you, since we were talking briefly about COVID, I want to give you the latest numbers because these are interesting. You can't really tell all that. And this is why... Fauci walking back his, uh, we're, well, we're past the pandemic stage too. No, we're not past the pandemic stage. Why it has to be political, as I was referencing earlier. It has to be. It ha- there's no other explanation for it. 
The COVID numbers, the seven-day rolling average, this is the first time I've seen this. The seven-day rolling average for COVID cases in the United States last year, 53,684. The seven-day rolling average for COVID cases this year, listen to this, 53,395. That's pretty close. It's about 300 difference. That's it. What is that? 311. If my math is, well, I don't know. It's probably not right. But it doesn't matter. It's close enough. It's less than, it's less than 1,000, less than 400. It's very, very close. And the seven-day death total, rolling death average, I guess I should say. Not death total, but rolling average. Last year, 689, which is low. This year is only 347. Each one of them sad, but 347 versus 689. The same number of average seven-day cases, the same number, and half the death total. That is progress, especially when you realize the way that they're counting the cases. They're still counting cases. Is anybody with a sniffle who's got a covid they're probably actually undercounting the cases now. Last year, the prevalence of home tests, not nearly what it is today. This year, people, you go to the grocery store where I live, or you go to the CVS, and there's piles of these Binax tests and some other brands. Takes test is cotton swab, shove it up your nose and test yourself. It's easy now. And the people I've known who've had COVID recently, tested themselves and that's how they learned they had covid they called their doctor the doctor said well do you feel bad no i feel a little bit rough but normally i don't feel that bad all right well monitor it rest drink lots of fluids whatever and uh, see how you feel and if it gets worse give me a call that's it the doctor isn't then going and adding that into a massive database there are i would venture to say thousands tens of thousands of people who are covid positive who have been covid positive who tested themselves at home and never bothered to call their doctors. So you're looking at this situation where the numbers are probably deflated on this year's rolling average. You know, you add 10 or 20,000 to the uh, seven-day rolling average there of 53,000, but you can't screw up the deaths. A dead person is a dead person is a dead person. There's you know, there's no home test for whether or not you're dead. You go to a hospital if you get really sick and you uh, die, sadly. So the numbers are actually probably better than we've been told. Which leads me to wonder, speculate one more time, why it is that Joe isn't sticking around the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Why it is Fauci isn't sticking around the White House, isn't even going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. What's really going on? I think in Fauci's case, he's probably just tired and doesn't like the prospect of somebody he disagrees with saying something to him in a public setting. Plus, um... Joe probably does. They'd talk more about Fauci and, and praising Fauci and kissing his butt than they would Joe. And Joe probably doesn't like that. And Fauci is a very political animal. He knows what to do. But in Joe Biden's case, it's at night. It's on a Saturday night. He's going to be sleepy. He's going to be. T- he has to be drugged up, doped up to give whatever amount of speech he's got to give. It's already going to be tough enough because. 
at the White House Correspondents Association dinner, you're supposed to be funny. I guarantee you that they're going to do what they did with Obama. This always happens with these leftists. With Obama, the Daily Show people wrote their uh, wrote his routine, which is telling that a Democrat president could deliver uh, exactly what the Daily Show people gave him, and you wouldn't know the difference between that and the Daily Show. I don't know if it means the Daily Show wasn't funny or that The Daily Show was liberal. Probably both. I didn't really watch The Daily Show. But with Republicans, you had to write your own. George W. Bush had to have staff write it. They'd occasionally enlist a comedian to punch it up, but they had to be careful that the comedian wasn't outed or else the leftist mob would you know, start boycotting and trying to hurt the, <laughs> the, the comedian who dared say anything. So sad, so pathetic. So Joe's going to have to really get doped up. They're going to have to give him some uppers, some speed, and whatever it is that gives him clarity. So he's going to double up on the Adderall. It's going to be a dangerous cocktail. And you probably don't want that crash filmed as you're sitting there eating your rubber chicken dinner in the Hinkley Hilton ballroom. So, of course, Joe has to get the hell out of there. Got to get the hell out of there. Oh, you keep going back to this COVID stuff because there's there's still COVID news. You, you see it, and, and then you come back across it. The, Denmark has uh, become the first country, according to CNBC, to halt its COVID vaccination program. Hmm. Denmark has become the first country to halt its COVID vaccination program, saying it is doing so because the virus is now under control. Quote, spring has arrived. Vaccine coverage in the Danish population is high. And the epidemic has reversed, said Danish Health Authority, said in a statement Wednesday. Therefore, the National Board of Health is now ending the broad vaccination efforts against COVID-19 for this season. (laughs) That makes sense, doesn't it? In the summer, there is much less transmission. In the summer, like with influenza, like with the cold, there is much less communicable communicable viruses, respiratory viruses, because you're outside more often. Viruses tend not to like the warmth because it kills them. Remember that? It gets warmer and you you kill them. And then you add to it the, uh, the fact that people aren't cramped up inside on top of each other. When people are cramped up inside on top of each other, they can give each other things. They're coughing on things. They're sneezing on things. They're wheezing on things. It's not not good. Inside is not a good place to be when it comes to viruses. It's a very good place to be when it comes to uh, weather. But when it comes to viruses, for human beings, not a very good thing. So they have said, we're going to stop for now. Now, can you imagine something like that happening in the United States? Of course you can't. There's no way in God's green earth they would ever allow for that to happen in this country because it would require an admission that things are going well. And President Fauci has already said we're past the pandemic phase. Oh, no, we're not past the pandemic stage. My bad. I forgot we're we're in the political phase of our, our country. So sad. So pathetic. But good on Denmark. This is uh, one of those things where the Scandinavian countries have been way ahead of the United States, way ahead of the United States. They have been refusing to, they refused to do lockdowns and things worked out well for them perfectly. No, nothing worked out perfectly for anybody, but certainly better than we had here. 
still a heresy to point that out in this country. <laughs> it's so sad. So pathetic. All right. Uh, let's see. I want to get to this. Should we save this? I, it's really amazing audio. I'm gonna, let's get to this Senator Kennedy grilling. There's a woman named, and I, I, the only reason I'm hesitant to do this story is because I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm horrible with names, dyslexia is already, but unless it's like Bob, I, I'm not good at it. Her name is Nusrat Jahan Chowdhury. I assume that's how you pronounce all of those things. Nusrat, N-U-S-R-A-T, Jahan, J-A-H-A-N, Chowdhury, C-H-O-U-D-H-U-R-Y. She was the uh, legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union in uh, Illinois, A-A-C-L-U. You can tell that somebody's not bringing a whole lot to the table when they are cheered or championed the way that liberals are championed. And what do I mean by that? She, If you look up news stories about her, you're not going to find too much about this exchange with Senator Kennedy, but you will find she is the first Muslim-American woman nominated for the U.S. federal bench. That's it. Okay. Who cares? Is she qualified? What does she think? What does she believe? It doesn't matter. You don't understand. You can't vote against her because she's the first Muslim American woman nominated for the federal bench. doesn't matter how incompetent or competent she might be. The fact that you're even worried about competence is a sign of your Islamophobia and your sexism and racism and whatever. So, God, I mean... It's so sad and pathetic how the left covers things. So yesterday, well, as the uh, director, as the legal director for the ACLU in Illinois, you can imagine she might have weighed in on certain things. And since the ACLU no longer champions free speech for everybody, only speech they agree with, (coughs) they... uh, And they're a radical left now. You might imagine you would find some... Radical left-wing things in Nusrat's past, right? Recent past, as a matter of fact. One of which is at a state in an Ivy League school, she, or at a speech at an Ivy League school, she said that every day in this country, police are shooting and killing unarmed black men. That is a left-wing talking point. It's a left-wing myth. It's it's so incredibly false as to it's long past the border of incredibly stupid. It really honestly is. It's one of the dumbest things any human being could say. You would expect it from a 12-year-old quote-unquote activist being fed lines by people who are professional agitators to say this, not somebody who is supposedly a respected lawyer who is set to be appointed for life to the federal bench. But that's what Nusrat has said in the past. And Senator Kennedy asked her about that. A very simple, basic question, even more basic and simple than what is a woman, which the uh, Katanji Brown Jackson couldn't answer. Just basically, do you really believe this? Now, her answer is telling. and She doesn't say she doesn't believe it, but she does say she said that as an activist, which just lets you know that activists are full of feces. 
Left-wing activists are full of feces. If this look, I said this as an activist. Oh, okay. So you you can just make stuff up if you're an act. If you're a left-wing activist, your job is actually to make stuff up. Listen to this exchange. This is a really simple question, Counselor. Do you believe that cops kill unarmed black men in America every single day? You said it at Princeton. Senator, I said it in my role as an advocate. Oh, okay. You didn't mean it. Senator, I said it in my role as an advocate to make a rhetorical point. So so when you say something that's, that's incorrect, it's okay to excuse it by saying, oh, I was being an advocate? What do you believe? Do you personally believe that cops kill unarmed black men every single day in America? Senator, I believe law enforcement have an important and challenging job in this country. That's not what you said, though, counsel. Senator, I say before you here today that I do believe law enforcement have a difficult and challenging job, and I also understand the difference I, I just between... think that's an extraordinary statement to make with no data to back up. No, none whatsoever. There's no basis for you saying that. And you knew it then and you know it now. She did know it then. She did know it now. She doesn't care. That's the currency. That's one of the coins of the realm of the left. Is you've got to say, look, they hate police. So you've got to hate police. You've got to hate police more. Oh, every single day police are out there. It's open season on young black men. Um, By police? No. Unarmed black men are shot down every day. In Chicago? Absolutely. You want to talk about who's doing that? No, we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about the uh, the rare case of what happens in uh, you know certain circumstances. No, never mind. There was one recently they tried to make a big stink out of. There's a guy, oh, he's, he was just shot in the head by a police officer. Or it was in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, or Kalamazoo, Michigan, somewhere in, in western Michigan. Oh, it's horrible. Look, the police just shot this man. It was horrible. He's an unarmed black man who had the police's taser, who had been fighting with the cop, who refused to get back into his, his traffic stop because shock of all shocks, the uh, license plate didn't match the car, which means that one of them was probably stolen, right? It's not like you, you go and register your car and you get the license plate and you just walk up to a random car in the lot and go, uh, in the parking lot and go, uh, I'll just put it on this one. Oopsie, or you play musical license plates. There is no way for you to accidentally get a wrong license plate on your car. There just isn't. So there's something else going on, and that's going to get you pulled over a lot of times. I don't know if you know this or not, but regardless of your skin color, if you're driving down the road in front of a police officer, the odds are pretty damn high that they are going to be running your license plate. Running it through their computer, just, you know, six, seven tapes, taps into their computer that they've got there, and they'll find out who you are, what your car is. If your car doesn't match your license plate number, they'll probably pull you over. If it turns out that the owner of the car is a wanted felon or wanted on a warrant, whatever, they're probably going to pull you over. They'll find out if you're not, if you borrowed the car, you'll... You won't be arrested, but the owner, if you're the owner of the car, you will likely be arrested because there is a warrant out for your arrest. That's how it works, regardless of color. Don't break the law. The odds of you having a negative interaction with a police officer go down significantly, significantly. This guy decided he was when the police officer told him to get back in the car. He didn't get back in the car. Uh, the police officer kept telling him to get back in the car. He wouldn't get. I don't know how many more times you gotta do this. It's all caught on body cam. He ended up fighting with the cop because the police officer then wanted to arrest him. Started to arrest him because he wouldn't identify himself. He wouldn't do anything when you've got a legitimate reason to pull him over. 
started fighting with him. In the course of that, the guy tried to get his taser, and the police officer, after fighting and fighting and fighting, eventually shot him. I would say it's justified. He'll probably be charged because it has to have a white cop and a black guy, and that's just the way the world works. But if you don't want trouble with police, don't start trouble with police. The, Of course, the detestable Ben Crump, the lawyer, he is uh, the modern day, well, there's no equivalent in law, but he's uh, he's always there to make a settlement. That's what he's really good at, getting a slice and getting publicity. He's all over. the. It's like the only lawyer, apparently, that he shows up at your house. You want to talk about ambulance chasing. It's really gross. He is the new version of Al Sharpton. I don't know how these people live with themselves, to be perfectly honest with you, but they do. And they make a ton of money doing it. So I assume that helps. But they are out there. He was out there and he said, this guy was an immigrant. He'd been in the country for a while. He was an immigrant and he was afraid of police because of, you know, all the stories about police brutality and police racism and everything. And you're sitting there and you go, Ben Crump never met this dude. He's dead. You have no freaking idea what this guy actually believed. You're just spinning this. You just are there for your one third cut. Dude, just stop lying, you fraud. And the city will, of course, throw a chunk of money at them because that's what cities do. They're weak and worthless. And what's really just and what's accurate doesn't matter anymore. But Ben Crumb's like, oh, he's so scared. Like, you never met him. How do you know what he was? And if he's so scared, why is he fighting the cop? If you're scared of somebody, you don't fight them. <laughs> you, don't, you don't try to take their weapon from them. But this is the world, this is the mentality of Nusrat Jahan Chaudhary. Every single day, police officers are... I was saying that as, a, as, a, as an advocate, as a, as a what? As an activist. For what? For left-wing causes. For money is what they were. For money. That's a good talking point. To get money. The exchange continued. Senator Kennedy grilling Nusrat. Imagine this woman on the federal bench. How can someone possibly believe that you're going to be unbiased on the federal bench? Senator, I believe my record shows that I have worked collaboratively with law enforcement in Boston, Chicago, Mississippi, and Milwaukee to solve complex problems to promote constitutional, effective, and safe Your record shows that you believe cops are guilty until proven innocent. Your record shows that if a cop, if, 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 if a uh, cop shoots a criminal, it's the cop's fault. And if a criminal shoots a cop, it's the gun's fault. I've read your record. I've read your record, Ms. Murrow. And I don't appreciate you not answering the question straight up. I would respect you a lot more if you'd just tell us what you believe and not try to hide it. <laughs> but they do have to hide it. They have to hide it. Here are your words. Do you stand by your words? I, well, I said that as my role as a a left-wing nut job. Well, then why the hell should we appoint a left-wing nut job to the court, to the federal bench? We shouldn't. You shouldn't be anywhere near the federal bench. You shouldn't even be anywhere near a federal footstool, okay? Go away. But because she's the first Muslim American woman nominated for the court, she'll probably skirt right through, skate right through. Go on. Come on in. The water's fine. It'll be great. What could go wrong? A lot could go wrong. You could put an anti-cop lunatic on the bench 
an activist for the ACLU on the bench for life. That's what could go wrong. They could make really bad decisions that harm real human beings, American citizens. I recognize that the left doesn't give a damn about American citizens, but one would think our elected representatives would. They do if they have an R after their name. They have a D after their name or they're a senile old SOB sitting in the White House. (sighs) I don't think they do. I don't. Actually, I know they don't. I want to talk about briefly, and we'll get in more into this another time, but I just want to talk about the uh, Joe Biden's disinformation governance board. It really, yeah, you know, he, George Orwell is rolling over in his grave saying 1984 was not a how-to manual. It was a warning. But Democrats misconstrue everything. Newsweek has a story about the woman appointed to head it. Nina Jankowitz is President Joe Biden's pick to serve as the executive director for the Department of Homeland Security's new disinformation government governance board. And her appointment has already met with some controversy. The existence of the place should be met with a lot of controversy. Now, imagine if Donald Trump started a Department of Fake News or to combat fake news or to monitor fake news. They would have soiled their chinos. But because it's their guy, they all agree this is important, especially especially now after Twitter is uh, going to that evil Elon Musk who promises to bring horrible, horrible freedom of speech to the Internet. Jankowitz has been a global fellow at the nonpartisan Wilson Center and an author whose research has focused on disinformation as well as Russia and the treatment of women online. Now, I looked uh, I looked up some of the things you can find video of her whining and complaining about Trump. This idea that the non the Wilson Center is nonpartisan is a damn joke. It was created by because if you're sitting there and you're going, what the hell is the Wilson Center? I wouldn't I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you because I'd never heard of the Wilson Center. I've worked in Washington, D.C. since 2001 in the think tank world for a good chunk of that time. I never heard of the Wilson Center. So you go to their website, wilsoncenter.org, and you go to uh, slash about. The Wilson Center, chartered by Congress in 1968 as the official memorial to President Woodrow Wilson, is the nation's key nonpartisan policy forum for tracking global issues through independent research and open dialogue to inform actionable ideas for the policy community. Okay, first of all, if it's funded and set up by government as an official memorial, the Wilson Center building, I've seen the Wilson Center building. It's a very big, very expensive building because it's our money they're spending. They don't really give a damn. Why wouldn't just get nothing but the best? Spare no expense. Why? Because somebody else is picking up the check. Everybody knows somebody when you, you go out with a group of people and they go, you know what? Dinner's on me today. If you're ever going to do that, don't ever announce dinner's on you today before the food has been ordered. Right, because it will impact what people order. Instead of you know, if they think they got to pay for it themselves, they might go with the salad. They might go with the salmon. They might go with the chicken. Whatever. Oh, uh, you're picking up the check. I'd like the uh, forty-eight ounce tomahawk. Could I get another one of those to go, and maybe a third one uncooked? 
that you can throw in. Yeah, put it on ice. Uh, yeah, if somebody else is picking up the check, it's weird how people's or you know I'm I'll just I'll just have the steak if uh, you know you're you're paying, and then you go well I'm going to start off with the soup. And then I want the salad, and then I would like uh, calamari, and then we can have the, the, the steak, and I get a side of potato, two sides of potatoes, as a matter of fact. And then it says that you've got to order the chocolate uh, lava cake at the beginning. of. So I want to order that now so it's nice and piping hot at the end. And, oh, can we get another round of wine, at least for me anyway? It's weird how that impacts things. So... Yeah, the Wilson Center building is very, very nice. I knew it was. I knew it was Woodrow Wilson building. I didn't know it was where the Wilson Center was, but Woodrow Wilson was a horrible racist. Woodrow Wilson was a monster. He was one of the worst presidents in the world uh, that we've ever had. He resegregated the military. He's an awful person. Just a bad guy. And this woman comes from there. She is a lefty. I looked through the experts, most of whom I'd never heard of, and. Uh, most of whom are specializing in left-wing things. I, I love this. Somebody named Luisa Duarte. She's a global fellow, probably paid for with our tax dollars, says her professional affiliation. She's a journalist and global fellow at the Brazil Institute and Wilson Center. Why? She, why what are we paying her for? There's no links to much of what she does. What, what are we paying her for? Paula Taveras. Her professional affiliate, she's a senior legal and gender specialist at the World Bank and a global fellow at the Wilson Center. Now, what do you think the odds of an organization that has a senior legal and gender specialist for the World Bank as one of their chosen fellows is also employing and in the business of employing conservatives? I scrolled through quickly. As many of the experts, they have 141 experts that uh, are listed there. I didn't recognize any of them. Never heard of Nina Jankowitz either. But she's now going to be a government employee monitoring disinformation online. making sure, Doing the job that Twitter doesn't want done anymore. Doing the job that the American people should never have done on them. Big Brother monitoring them. According to the Wilson Center, she studies, quote, the intersection of democracy and technology in Central and Eastern Europe. She is also an advisor on strategic communications for the government of Ukraine during her time as a Fulbright Clinton Public Policy Fellowship. No, she's with the Clintons, too. But don't worry, she's nonpartisan. Why? Because liberals just... Look, if you're around a bunch of Nazis at, say, a cocktail party in Chappaqua at Clinton's house or Martha's Vineyard at Barack Obama's house, and you know, all these fascists around there, and you agree with them, are you going to go, well, we're just a group of fascists? No, you're not. You're going to go, we are... Uh, we really represent the mainstream of Martha's Vineyard. My God, last summer in the Hamptons, I met nary a soul who disagreed with me. Nary a soul. Yes, well, therefore, that proves the rightness of, of what we're saying, does it not? Let's all hold up our Chardonnays. And uh, cheers to that one, because we are the only ones who know what's going on, and we know what's best for everybody. Yeah, you are moderate and nonpartisan if you live in a bubble where everybody agrees with you, everybody agrees with you. If you do not venture outside 
of your bubble or even expose yourself to anything. That's why I play. I don't play clips from Fox on this show you, or conservative. You, you agree with them. What's the point? Unless it's an incredibly good point. I just don't do it. I don't find it useful. Plus, I don't really watch that stuff anymore because it's it's bad. It's not, it's not wrong. It's not, they're not lying. It's not evil. Like I view MSNBC and CNN. It's just bad and and stupid people, frankly, this complex issue. Now let's bring in this radio host. Oh, all right. Well, I happen to know that radio host and that radio host doesn't know anything. Congratulations. You got her on, but uh, pathetic. And you could have had an expert. On. You could have had somebody on journalist. How much of cable news is just one host interviewing another host? It used to be a host interviewing contributors. Now it's a host interviewing another host. And like this, this is even worse. What are you just going to bring out a mirror now? Is it going to be an hour of a of somebody talking to a mirror? That that's the only place left we can go. But that's the left. Of the the world of the left is, and it's sad to see the right creating it for himself themselves. But Newsweek is a liberal rag. Of course somebody who worked for a left-wing Wilson Center is going to be a nonpartisan, uh, right-down-the-middle straight shooter who just happens to have a whole bunch of videos and tweets of them grousing, complaining, whining, pissing, moaning about Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah that's just par for the course, isn't it? That's how these things work. So this is your government. They're going to be monitoring online disinformation like i say we'll get into this more on another show but as this thing shakes out and shakes up shapes up the concept is disturbing the reality of it the reality of it whatever it ends up being forming once this clay hardens is going to be probably much worse than uh, than it seems now and it seems pretty damn bad right now i gotta tell you now I want to talk about uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats' delusion as we wrap things up here because it's it's fun to watch. <laughs> let's just let's just look at it uh, that way. It's it's fun to watch, and frankly, the the uh, the left deserves this. This is again the bubble that you live in. At her daily press briefing or weekly press briefing, I guess it is on Thursday. Nancy Pelosi was asked. And it sounds like it's that guy from uh, Fox News. I can't remember his name right now, but he's a thorn in her side. I've been to the guy's house, too, a couple of times. He has uh, one party every year. It's a lot of fun. But I can't remember his name right now. But uh, she's asked about gas prices, whether or not the people are going to take it out on Democrats. Now, you have to understand this. I had to doctor this audio, so if it sounds weird, that's why. Because he, Chad Pergram, that's that's the name. Chad's voice is very low because he's not mic'd. At least it, the, the feed for the video that I have was not from his mic. And Nancy Pelosi sounds loud, so I had to try and even it out. So if it sounds weird or whatever, that's why. But listen to this this telling exchange about from Nancy Pelosi. At Chad. Do you think the public... No, I don't think the public is blaming Democrats. I think they're blaming the oil companies. They're, they will blame all of us if we don't do something about uh, the fossil fuel industry. But they won't take that out on your side of the midterms, if, even if you pass this bill and prices don't get back. No, I, the, why would we say that? I, I don't think what you're saying is making very much sense. 
frankly. I mean, in all fairness, we're friends. Candor is part of our friendship. <laughs> I don't think what you're saying is right. No, no, they're not going to. They're going to take it out on the oil companies. All right, who's going to march on Exxon Mobil? And uh, let's get the pitchforks and go there and demand that they drill where? Where can they drill? They can't drill. Go and demand that they bring more. Well, no, that they refine more. No, they can't do all of these things. Oh, let's go and go after them. The people are going to blame them. Why would people blame them? They have not instituted regulations that make doing their job more difficult. They have not instituted regulations that limit the global supply of their product, therefore forcing them to pass the increased costs on to consumers. That was not ExxonMobil. Shell Oil didn't sit down and go, how can we really screw ourselves? We've got this gun here. Can I shoot myself in the foot with it? Is anybody? Can we do that? Let's do that. Let's see if we can do that. That's not how this works. It is Democrats who are stopping this. As I said earlier, when Jennifer Granholm is out there saying, don't worry, we're going to make up the, we're going to export as much liquefied natural gas as we possibly can to try and make sure that anything that Putin does to damage the energy supply of Europe is countered, is, you know, we do the best we can then you say with another breath, but we won't be increasing production. We won't. Okay, so you're going to short the United States. You're going to take what we make here, and you're going to export it around the world. You're going to artificially bastardize the market. Great. Granted, it's for a good cause. You don't want Poland to freeze to death. But you also want the American people, theoretically, I'd imagine, theoretically, to be able to afford to heat their own homes, to be able to afford to turn on their own lights, things of that nature. You'd be wrong about Democrats, though. That's not what their priority is. Take a look at the southern border to find out that the priority of Democrats has little to nothing to do with what impact their policies have to, on American citizens. They really don't give a damn. You've got... Policies that are designed for and expressly for people who aren't Americans. You talk got Bishop Evans down there, the national Texas National Guard member who died trying to save two illegal aliens who were emboldened by the Biden administration's open door policy to smuggle drugs into the country and they're drowning. And Bishop Evans jumps in tries to save them. Oh, they got away. They got saved. Bishop Evans drowned. And the White House, when asked about it, said, of course we're sad. It's terrible. Blah, blah, blah. But it's not our responsibility. He worked for the Texas National Guard, not us. That's on Texas. Why don't you go ask them? When asked, Ginger Goebbels was asked whether or not the White House feels any responsibility for that. Like the left and the Obama administration when Kate Steinle was murdered by the illegal alien who'd been deported something like seven times. No, we're not responsible for that. 
Really? Because you refused to deport him. The San Francisco officials, California officials, they all refused to deport him. He'd been arrested a bunch of times. But no, he, he is the priority. They want, and this is why they're getting rid of Title 42, these leftists want as many illegal aliens in the country as humanly possible when they finally are in a position to ram and they don't care about the destruction it takes and if it takes 10 years they don't care they don't care about the destruction in its wake they want as many in here as possible so that when they grant blanket amnesty they can follow up their citizenship paperwork with democratic party registration forms that's all they give a damn about Americans here, if you're not registered as a Democrat, they don't care about you. If you're already registered as a Democrat, they don't care about you. They are about expanding their power, and they cannot convince Americans that what they're doing is good. So they're setting up the long con. Get as many illegals in here, convince them that they are their protectors, because the people who live here, the Hispanics who live here, aren't falling for it. They, they see the garbage that the Democrats have done. And they go, no, you're not our protectors. So they've got to get a new crop of people in here. We're their protectors. We're your protectors. Don't worry. We shall. We're the only thing standing between you and the horrible, horrible Republican Party. Who wants to do what? Hold you to account for your actions? The horror of that. So that when they are granted citizenship, and this is why it's important to not elect rhinos, but conservatives. When they do get citizenship or try to give them citizenship, they're there and they're, they're grateful to Democrats. And they build that brand loyalty. So it's horrible to say. It's a horrible thing in this country that more Americans get killed. Nobody gave a damn in the Obama administration about Kate Steinle being murdered. Nobody gave a damn about it. Why would they care? It didn't help them. They didn't use it. She was white anyway. These people are that evil. You're thinking, I'm too cynical. I'm very cynical. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. Most of the time, it means I'm right. That's probably worse. All right, worst of all is that is all the time we have, which was best of all, really, because that means the weekend can start. Go ahead, start drinking, live large, live it up. It's the last weekend in April. April showers bring May flowers, so if you're allergic to flowers, next month's going to suck for you. Appreciate you listening. Don't forget patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast for the weekend F and review. Shoot me an email if you want to give it a sample. I'll send you this week's episode. It's I'm I'm already pissed off. So there you go. Anyway, have a great weekend either way. We'll be back here on Monday. Thanks for listening.